0: This is the guide to the night sky in April. My name is Nick Long. I'm the Consultant Curator of Astronomy at Sydney Observatory. This podcast is available through the Sydney Observatory website, www.sydneyobservatory.com.au and it is in the Astronomy section. It is always available at the beginning of each month. We'll start off the podcast by talking about the stars in the night sky and we'll consider what planets and what other events are happening this, uh, this month at the end. To start off, it's a good idea to download the star map that's available through this website, the monthly sky map, and print it out. It would also help to equip yourself with a torch that should have a red colour. The way to convert an ordinary torch into a red torch is to put some red cellophane at the front. The idea of the red light is that it does not wreck your adaptation to the night sky, so you can look at a map and a piece of paper as well as looking up into the sky, without having to wait for your eyes to adapt to darkness once again. Also, it's a good idea to make yourself familiar with the cardinal directions, north, south, east and west. East is of course where the sun rises, west is where the sun sets, and of course, in April, it can start becoming a little cool, so dress suitably. Go outside, set yourself down and listen to this podcast. We'll start off our tour of the April stars by facing north. We'll see, of course, the familiar sight of the Australian night sky, the constellation of Orion. It is to our left and to the northwest. Orion is, of course, also visible during the Australian summer evenings. Orion is an easily recognizable constellation, as it is made up of four stars in a rectangle, with three stars in a row in the middle. The three stars in the middle represent Orion's belt. Just above the belt, there's a line of three faint stars, and the middle one is the great nebula of Orion. These three stars represent the deck of Orion, or sometimes they're referred to as the sword of Orion. Of course, you might find it a little odd that the giant Orion of Greek mythology wears his sword above his belt. The reason, of course, is that Orion was named in the Northern Hemisphere a long time ago. So when we look at Orion, we actually see Orion upside down. Now, as I said, the middle, slightly fuzzy star that we can see in Orion's dagger is the Great Nebula in Orion. This is the nearest large star-forming region to Earth, to the distance of 1,500 light-years from us. That is, light has taken 1,500 years to reach us from the Great Nebula in Orion. The, right. the Great Nebula is one of the most interesting objects to look at through a small telescope, because through a telescope we can see a little bit of fuzziness, and inside the fuzzy area we can see four stars in a slightly distorted rectangle in the middle. These four stars are very young stars, referred to as the trapezium stars, and the fuzziness around them is the gas and dust out of which new stars are currently forming. When astronomers look at the nebula with large telescopes and with special telescopes sensitive to infrared radiation, they can see hundreds of new stars being formed inside the huge cloud of gas and dust that forms the great nebula in Rhine. Just looking with our own eyes, we can use Orion as a signpost to find other objects in the night sky. Let's move to the right of Orion, that is towards the east and a little bit lower down, and we see two bright stars close together. These two stars almost due north in the early evening. The two stars are the two brightest stars in the constellation of Gemini, the twins. The top one is a star called Pollux, and the lower one is a star called Castor. Pollux is fairly close to us, at a distance of 34 light-years. It is a giant star, slightly reddish. The surface temperature, about 4,500 degrees. This makes it a little cooler than our own sun. Our own sun has a surface temperature, around 5,500 degrees. Pollux has a width 10 or 11 times as much as that of our own sun. Castor, the second of the two twin stars of Gemini, is a very interesting object. It is the layer of the two stars. At a distance of 51 light-years from Earth, it's a little bit further than Pollux. That means that the two stars are not actually related to each other, they just happen to lie in the same direction. To the unaided eye, Castor appears like a single star. But if you look at Castor through a telescope, you can see that he's made up of two stars. These two stars circle around each other Taking about four hundred and sixty years to do so. Of course you would need a lot of patience to actually see any motion with such a long period. There is in addition a third faint reddish star in the system, but that one is much fainter and not quite as obvious as the other two. So far we've mentioned three stars in Castor, the two stars that we can see through telescope, and a fainter reddish star all circling around each other. However, When astronomers examine each of the three stars in detail, they find that each of them is a double star. We cannot see these separately. We cannot look through a telescope and see the companion stars. But when astronomers measure the velocities of the stars using a device called a spectroscope, they find that the objects are sometimes moving towards us and sometimes they're moving away from us. That can only happen if they're circling and that the two stars are circling around each other. Each of these three stars in Castor is a double star in its own right. So although looking at Castor with our own eyes, we see just one object, there's in fact six stars. So if we can look at this one pinpoint of light in the sky with our own eyes, we're actually seeing six stars in that direction, which is quite an amazing fact to note. These two stars, Pollux and Castor, are very prominent stars, and there are legends associated with them. According to a legend from the ancient Greeks, the two stars protected sailors, especially the ship Argo, which travelled to retrieve the golden fleece. And the sailors and the Argo were always protected by these two stars, Pollux and Castor. Let us go towards the right, towards the east, and we reach the star Regulus. Regulus is a star that lies on the ecliptic, which is the path taken by all the planets and the sun and the moon. Sir so Regulus lies on the path taken by the moon, and that means that he is sometimes covered by the moon. When the moon covers a star, astronomers call that an occultation, and Regulus is often occulted by the moon. Regulus is the brightest star in the constellation of Leo the Lion. It is relatively close to us at a distance of 77 light-years. The name Regulus means the little king. The rest of the stars of Leo the Lion are quite faint, and it can be quite difficult to make out the constellation. Fortunately, Regulus itself is easy to find, so Regulus provides an easy way of finding the whole constellation of Leo the Lion. Regulus is a fairly bright star, puts out somewhere around 140 times as much light as her own sun. So intrinsically, it is bright but it does not appear so bright in her own sky. It has a mass about three and a half times that of our own sun. Regulus is a companion star, so Regulus is a double star. But that companion is quite a long way away from the main star of Regulus, something like one hundred times as far from Regulus as the dwarf planet Pluto is from our own sun. Since it is so far away, the companion takes a long time to circle Regulus. It takes 130,000 years. Obviously, nobody's actually seen the companion star to Regulus make a complete circuit. Now, if we go further towards the east, towards the right, and almost due east, we find the star Spica. Spica also lies in the ecliptic, just like Regulus. So Spica is often occulted or covered by the moon. Spica is intrinsically a very bright star which is a distance of 260 light-years from us. Spica appears fairly bright in our sky, but not as bright as it actually is. Close up, it puts out over 2,000 times as much energy as our own sun. Spica, as I said, is in the eastern sky. One way of finding it is to look for a group of four stars, which form a twisted rectangle in the sky. These are the stars of the constellation of Corvus, the crow. If you extend two of the stars of Corvus directly downwards for each spica, that is the easiest way to be sure you're looking at the star spica. The sun tends to pass spiker in the northern hemisphere autumn, or in the southern hemisphere spring. Because it passes in northern hemisphere autumn, which is at harvest time, the name spica means the year of wheat, So it is a star that is always associated with harvesting. If you look at Spica, it appears like one star, a single star. Even through a telescope, it appears like one star. But through a spectroscope, a device used by astronomers to break light up into its components, and a device which allows astronomers to measure the velocity of the stars, astronomers can determine that Spica is made up of two stars circling around each other fairly quickly. They take just four days to complete one circuit of each other. As the two stars are so close to each other, they are actually distorted. The shape of the stars is not a nice round globe that we always imagine stars to be. Their shape is something like that of a football. As they circle around each other during the four days that they take to do so, we see these footballs from different aspects. The football shapes that we can see during the four-day period that the stars circle around each other, are seen either end on or side on, and this obviously changes the brightness that we can see from a distance, gives, and gives rise to the changes in brightness. Let us move further in our tour of the April night sky, and let us move to the southern part of the sky. High up in the southeast, we can see the constellation of the Southern Cross. Of course, the Southern Cross is a very obvious constellation in the night sky, and a constellation of great significance to Australians. The Southern Cross is on the Australian flag. It's on the livery of several airlines, and numerous other firms use the Southern Cross as part of their logo. It's a constellation very much recognisable in Australia. To make sure that we're looking at the real Southern Cross and not the false cross, which is somewhat higher up in the southern sky, it's important to look for the two stars directly below the two pointer stars. And it is those two pointer stars which really indicate that we're looking at the right sudden cross. As well, we can note that the stars of the real cross are brighter than the stars of the false cross, and they're close together, much more compact than the stars of the false cross. The two pointer stars are known as Alpha and Beta Centauri. The lower one of the two pointers is called Alpha Centauri, and it's the star or star system that is closest to us light left Alpha Centauri four and one third years ago and it is reaching us today. If you look at Alpha Centauri through a small telescope it's a very spectacular double star, two stars close together in the field of view of the telescope. To me, through a telescope Alpha Centauri appears like a pair of car headlights in the distance with two lights close together. There's actually a third star in the system but that one is out of the field of view of a small telescope and is also too faint to see with a small telescope. It's only recognizable by careful study of actual images of that part of the night sky. This third star is believed to be circling around the other two, and the current state of its path around the two main stars of Alpha Centauri means that it is slightly closer to us than the other two stars. Hence, Astronomers have given this star the name Proxima Centauri, meaning that it's a close by star of Centauri. Proxima Centauri is the closest star to us, but the closest star system is Alpha Centauri, because Proxima is part of the same system. Above the pointers, as we have discussed, we find the bright stars of the Sun's Cross. If we take the topmost star of the Sun's Cross and the one on the right, and we extend the line through Through those two stars towards the right, we move towards the west and we reach the bright star Canopus that is almost overhead, very high up in the southern sky. Canopus is the second brightest star in the sky after Sirius. It is a star that is 312 light years from us and because it appears bright even at that large distance, we can tell that it is intrinsically a very bright star. Astronomers have established that it gives off about 10,000 times as much energy as our own sun. It is a very large star, about 100 times the bits of our own sun. The name Canopus comes from the name of a pilot of a fleet in ancient Greek times, and this fleet was sailing back from Troy after the battle there at Troy. According to ancient Greek legends, the name of the pilot was Canopus, and it seems that the fleet pulled into the port of Alexandria in Egypt. And Canopus died at that port. At this place, the star Canopus was just visible over the horizon, so it was named after the pilot who died in the city of Alexandria. Canopus is the brightest star in the constellation of Carina the Keel. The Keel refers to the ship Argo Nevis, the constellation known as the ship. Argo Nevis was once a large constellation in that part of the sky, but it has since been broken up into three, Carina, Bela the Sails, and Pupis, which is the stern of the ship. The Milky Way passes through the north part of these three constellations and contains many interesting clusters of stars and nebulae, sorts of fuzzy objects in the night sky. The most famous of these fuzzy objects is called Eta Carinae, or the Eta Carinae Nebula. This nebula is a large cloud of gas and dust surrounding a star, also called Eta Carinae. This is one, one of the largest stars we know about in the night sky. It is at least 350 times, I repeat that, it is at least 350 times the mass of our own sun. The star is famous because in the 1830s and 40s it experienced an outburst and suddenly became very much brighter than it had been previously. It became the second brightest star in the night sky after Sirius, it was then and still is the brightest star in the sky. We should note that Sirius is only nine light-years away. Ida Carina is 7,500 light-years from us. Hence, intrinsically, Eta Carina is a much, much brighter star than Sirius. It had to become intrinsically extremely bright in the 1840s to appear in a night sky almost as bright as Sirius. During the outburst in the 1830s and 40s, Ida Carina threw out a lot of dust and that dust has formed a cocoon around the star and hides it from our view. That is why the star has become much fainter than it was in the 1830s and 40s. Intrinsically, the star is still bright, but is still inside the dust cloud, which hides it from our view. Infrared radiation is still transmitted through the dust, though. The dust creates its own infrared radiation, and it occurs in is the brightest source of infrared radiation in a night sky. There is a famous and very spectacular image by the Hubble Space Telescope of this cocoon of dust surrounding the star. It looks like, on the image, a brain, like two halves of a brain. That is, of course, the two hemispheres of the dust cocoon surrounding the star. In recent times, the astronomers have determined that Ether Carinae Carina is not just a single star, but it is two massive stars circling around each other one of them is just over 100 times as massive as our own sun and the other one is probably little less than 100 times as massive as our own sun these two stars circle around each other roughly every 5 years as these stars are so massive they believe to be near the end of their life cycles eta carinae is the best candidate we have for a star about to go supernova that is to explode at the end of its lifetime. As light takes 7,500 years to reach us from Eta Carinae, it is quite possible that one of the stars of Eta Carinae has already exploded and created a supernova, but that is something we will not know until the light actually reaches us. Certainly it is a prime candidate to be a supernova sometime between now and the next 10,000 or 20,000 years. If it does become a supernova, it will become very, very spectacular and not only become the brightest object in the night sky, rivaling and possibly becoming even brighter than the moon, but it will be visible even during daylight for months and end. This is a very interesting month with a lot happening in the sky. Fairly early in the month, 6th of April, we have the ending of summertime, after which we have the advantage of having more evening sky or being able to watch the sky earlier in the evening so it is easier to look at the sky. As I said, there are lots of interesting things happening in the sky on the 15th of April. In the middle of the month, we have a total eclipse of the moon, and this um, starts happening in the in the afternoon for most of Australia. That's uh, during uh, still during daytime, but the moon will rise while it's already totally eclipsed. So that is going to be very dramatic, seeing it, a red moon rising up in the eastern sky um, just as the sun is setting in the west people in Perth will completely miss the eclipse but um, people in New Zealand will see the whole eclipse the totality ends at 6.25pm and the moon will uh, completely leave the earth's shadow at 7.33pm so look out for the eclipse on Tuesday the 15th of April with a totally eclipsed red moon in the eastern sky. Two weeks after the eclipse of the moon on the afternoon of Tuesday the 29th of April we have another eclipse, this time an eclipse of the sun. It will be a partial eclipse and it will be seen throughout the Australian continent, but it will not be visible from New Zealand. The eclipse for most places will end at sunset, with the sun setting still partially eclipsed. So that should be a fairly interesting or dramatic sight. In the nighttime sky there are Two planets visible at the beginning of the month, Mars and Jupiter, but they are joined later in the month by the ring planet Saturn. The planet Mars is blowing east in the constellation of Virgo. On the 14th of April, the gibbous moon, the day or night before the total eclipse of the moon, um, on the 14th of April, um, the gibbous moon is above and to the left or north of the planet Mars. The bright planet Jupiter is in the northern sky. On the 6th of April, the crescent moon is above and to the left or west of the planet Jupiter. Um, while the next evening, the moon will be at first quarter, and it will be above Jupiter, but to right or east. And as I said, Mars and Jupiter are joined by Saturn which appears very low in the eastern sky during the last week of the month. Now, This was in the evening sky, just uh, after dark. Now, in the morning sky, just before dawn, we can see quite a number of planets. We have uh, Mercury, Venus, Mars and also Saturn. Mercury is very low in the eastern sky and Mercury is a elusive planet. It can be quite difficult to spot it because being in the innermost planet um, in the solar system, it's always close to the sun. So we can see it in the morning sky just before dawn or we can see it in the evening sky just after sunset but it is never far from the sun. So this month we can see it low in the east but then... Uh, just around the middle of the month, it disappears into the twilight. The bright planet Venus is in the eastern sky. On the 26th of April, near the end of the month, the crescent moon is below and to the left or north of Venus. And of course, um, when Venus and the crescent moon get together in the sky, that is one of the nicest sights that we can see. The red planet Mars can be seen glowing in the west in the mornings, but it disappears just after the middle of the month. The ring planet Saturn is in the western sky. On the 17th of April, the gibbous moon is below and to the left or south of Saturn, while the next morning it is above and to the right or north of the planet. That completes the special sites with the planets. And the whole view of uh, of the sky for April. These podcasts on the on the night sky are available each month. But if you'd like to know about the sky in advance, and would like to know about the sky for the whole year, you can obtain the two thousand and fourteen Australasian Sky Guide. And this is a book which I prepare each year. It's a small. Paperback, very convenient paperback uh, p- format um, that shows the night sky for each month. Tells you what's up in the sky, um, what stars are visible, what constellations are visible, and what the planets are doing, and what uh, eclipses there are uh, during the year. And uh, there are two eclipses: one of the sun and one of the moon in April, as you've just heard. But there will be another. Eclipse uh, later in the year. So it's certainly worth looking into. The 2014 Australasian Sky Guide, available from Sydney Observatory, available through the Bauhaus Shop, Bauhaus Publishing, and through good bookshops. Um, my name is Nick Lom. I'm Curator of Astronomy at uh, Sydney Observatory, and you can hear this uh, podcast on the Sydney Observatory blog, www.sydneyobservatory.com.au.